0: So I wanted to spend some of time this evening giving an, a little bit of an overview of mindfulness and education, of the movement, if you want to call it a movement. I'm not even sure it is a movement, but I want to call it that right now. I'm always interested in the big picture. I spend a lot of time kind of observing in the larger culture the trends and noticing what's happening within different organizations and groups and out in the world and so I wanted to share some of this with you tonight so that we could all be on the same page and be thinking about this together because really if it is a movement we are part of it and essentially you are on the vanguard of it because this this it's it's hard to even talk about mindfulness and education because in some ways, it's just bubbling up in thousands of ways, organically and systematically and through research and through programs. And it's, it's, a very, it's, it's becoming a bigger and bigger field. And at the same time, we're inventing it as we live and breathe right now. We are inventing it. Being here is part of this invention of this movement. And maybe, you know, 20, 30 years, people will look back on this time and say, oh, remember when they were trying to figure it out? They didn't know what they were doing. Or, wow, they really knew what they were doing. I don't know what they'll say. But it's, it's interesting to think about us being part of something important and bigger. So as I give this talk, I want to say I may be missing some key pieces. I may be missing, I'm, as I give this overview, I might miss something that you're part of that seems really important. And I apologize in advance if I did that i 'm um, kind of seeing this as the fake keynote address if this were a conference okay, so this is just this opportunity to hear the big picture um, and personally, for me, this field is so important because i have been i 've been practicing mindfulness for my myself for over twenty years. I first start, when I first started teaching, I started teaching with adolescents and seeing how it was to bring into teens these teen retreats that Spring was talking about. And now having a baby myself, it seems newly more important. So now I'm starting, with, starting at the very beginning, mindfulness for babies or mindfulness for moms and dads of babies. We're starting here. And so my friends have been joking and saying that in another 15 years, I'll be back to teaching teens again. Right? So I'm just starting in a big cycle. So what can we say about schools these days? I don't need to tell you because you are on the front lines, but we know things like how tremendously underfunded schools are and the kind of crisis that schools are in in America today. We know there's been a huge polarization of rich and poor. We know that the education system is failing our children we know that kids are struggling with being overscheduled, with learning difficulties, with behavioral issues. We know that teachers don't have enough time to do everything they're supposed to do, and then there are laws mandating that they teach to the test and so forth. We know that teachers are stressed out, that they're not paid well. We know, we know all this. I, don't, I just want to bring it up to remind us all that this is where, the, where we're sitting right now. So in this big mess of the education crisis, along comes mindfulness, and mindfulness is being heralded as this incredible um, savior for our failing education system in some circles. A lot of people have never heard of it, of course, and um, because it can help with attention and promote emotional regulation and bring compassion to students and work with behavioral issues and so forth. just keep in mind that it's also the hot new thing in therapy these days too, right, in therapy circles. So it's, mindfulness is just bubbling out all over. But what we, and so mindfulness is being perceived almost as this knight in shining armor that's going to come in and save the failing school system. But what we need to keep in mind, although we all know it's good, because we wouldn't be here if we didn't know it was good, is that it's not the final answer. It is not the cure-all, it is one of many solutions that are being proposed out there and it's an extraordinary one. There are amazing aspects of it that I think will make a huge difference in education, but it's not the answer. So I just want to go um, talk about that. The research in education and mindfulness right now is still very, very small. They, um, there's been a lot of research on mindfulness in general, although small in a general sense. So, for instance, there's probably about somewhere between 700 to 1,000 studies done on mindfulness in general over the last decade or so, last 20 years. Now, that seems like a lot. Wow, 1,000 research studies on mindfulness, general mindfulness. But if you were to, um, say, look up how many studies have there been done on heart disease and uh, exercise, you would find 40,000 studies. And how many studies have been done related to uh, children? Mm, Very few, maybe a a handful, 12, 15, 20, something like that. A couple I'll just mention just to, to, to show you how the research field is going, and it's something that we're interested in in our center. We, um, I'll just start with that, uh, because Susan was involved with this. We did two um, controlled trials with preschool kids and uh, preschool and kindergarten and second and third graders. And Susan taught them program over the course of eight weeks. And what we found was improved attention, improved ability for planning and organization. The most striking result, though, that they found was that if... um, if the child was pretty regulated to start, there wasn't a huge change after learning a mindfulness program over these eight weeks. But if the child was severely dysregulated, there was a big change. So this is interesting for kids with learning differences and, um, and what those implications may be, we'll find out. There was a study in Arizona State University with 130 or so second and third graders practicing mindfulness showing that led to increased, um, improved attention, decreased anxiety. There was a program done um, called Inner Resiliency Training with 57 teachers in public schools. So it was taught to the teachers themselves. And, um, and these teachers then went on to teach about, you know, over 800 students. And that seemed to, seemed to, everybody reported a better sense of well-being. And I'll tell you something, having just explored the research uh, um, of mindfulness, it, it seems like across the board, the one thing we can definitely say is that mindfulness seems to make people feel better. You can't always say it improves attention. It doesn't always help you um, regulate behavior. Kids regulate behavior. But th- there's something about people who practice mindfulness feel better, which I think is a very uh, exciting result. Last one I'll mention is something they did in, with high school students in the, in England with 290 high school students. They did a stress reduction program that included mindfulness. And the kids who would receive that program Got uh, one letter degree higher on their great you know their grading system, so it seems like it's all promising in case you just noticed I mentioned five studies it's very small, but we want to see more done because the more that this, these studies are done, the more chance that funding will go to these types of programs and there's there's much more out there than what I mentioned so This idea of bringing mindfulness into the education system, and we want to keep in mind it's a work in progress. How do we do it? Who should do it? What kind of training do they need? What is it? um, How do we foster community? How do we build skills? All of these are questions. What about the question of secularity? Do people view mindfulness as religious? And if that's the case, is that a problem? Which um, in some cases it has been. And I think probably maybe the underlying question in all of this is can we change society? What would happen if every child had to learn mindfulness? You know? As part of instead of physical edu not instead of in addition to physical education, they also had mental education or an education of the heart. Or mental you know, um well, I don't like this one so much, but some people have joked about it that it's kind of like mental floss, right? Put the dental floss, mental floss. Anyway, so let's look at some of these areas. There's school, te- there's, there's I'm going to break it down into a few categories. There's mindfulness being brought directly to teachers, so direct to teachers. School teacher mindfulness training programs. And this piece is so key because we can't teach this stuff unless we know it ourselves. Otherwise, it's, it's not authentic. So there's something about how do we uh, become practitioners, become skilled at the best we can in this art of mindfulness. And then as we do that, then we can share practices. And then in a sense, it almost doesn't matter what we do. You'll probably be asking over the course of the week, well, I want curriculum, or what do I do in my classroom, or how, does this, how is this going to help my kids? When we're being this mindfulness, because we've practiced ourselves, we're going to have 100 different creative responses. It's just going to come from us. We're going to be it. The, t- the kids are going to see it. They're going to know it. And so the, there's such an important piece about mindfulness practice within oneself to start off. So when we bring mindfulness to school teachers, which is one way, so one of the ways is you bring it to school teachers as a whole, and then school teachers take it into their classrooms, and that's what a lot of you are doing here. You're school teachers, um, or you teach in, you know, you're in the school in some way, and you want to bring it into the classroom. So it works on a couple of levels. You both when you when teachers are trained, it works as a self-care piece. It works because you you get some kind of a community when you're studying it, learning it, practicing it with others, and it, then you get sc- tools for the classroom. So we've been seeing a lot of people training school teachers, and one of the, um, one of the things that... I'll just mention a few of these programs. Um, first of all, this is one of them, The confer- this, coming here for a retreat and training. There was a conference at Omega Institute a few weeks ago. There was a mindfulness and education conference this year. There's a program called Cultivating Emotional Balance, which worked with training school teachers. They did a pilot and a a clinical trial um, for teacher training, and Alan Wallace and Margaret Cullen are involved with this, and Paul Ekman, some of you are familiar with them. We've done some training through mark where we've trained teachers at, through a through a like a program where they studied mindfulness online practice it practiced it in the classroom, and then met with us over a period of weeks to um to develop mindfulness tools um there's the um i know that they're training school teachers some through your program right through through uh through this mindful schools right so the but you're you're training both school teachers and you're training people who want to go into schools, is that right? Right, we do both. We do both. Okay. There's also several online communities and I've been very interested. I've been paying attention as I was preparing for this talk. I was thinking, well, what's going on in the online world? Susan, our friend over here is one of is I think really on the vanguard of this. She started a something called Mindfulness Together it's a website, and it is incredibly active. And as, as of a few days ago, when I looked at it, there were 2,349 members across the entire world. And these people are sharing book resources and curriculum and, um, and videos and songs, and there's all sorts of chat rooms you can go into and things you can do and it's just it's wild it's like mindfulness and education the virtual world you know you can go there and what oh except Susan didn't start it her daughter did (laughs) (laughs) so that's pretty amazing thank you Mm -hmm. (laughs) Allegra who is now in college she's in her sophomore year at college started this as oh that's right it was a it was a community service program for her daughter so this is, this is a wonderful resource that I see people all around the world using with topics on everything from mindfulness and pregnancy to mindfulness in, I don't know, in different languages, all sorts of things. So we can bring mindfulness to school teachers with the idea that we bring it to school teachers and then they share it in their classrooms and that each year as they come back again and again, they're kind of renewed and they, they learn more and they practice more and they share the mindfulness and, um, and the kids learn and the kids start to incorporate mindfulness. Um, but a big question might be this very key question, which is how much practice do you need to teach mindfulness? guess what? We have no idea. There is no answer I know of yet. I mean, some is the answer. Definitely you need some. Um, You know, there's some research studies on how long it takes to accomplish certain kinds of goals. So for instance, if you wanted to learn to play the harmonica, how long do you think it would take to learn to play the harmonica? How many hours? Say again? Yeah, you're right. It's about 40 to 50 hours to learn to have some ability to play the harmonica. And how about the piano? Hundreds, yeah. 500 hours is what they say, to learn to play the harmonica. The piano, just to be at a a, a decent level. 1,200 hours to learn to play the violin. 6,000 hours to be a competitive swimmer on a high school level. Being a virtuoso at meditation, we have no idea. <laughs> so, um, so point being, it doesn't mean that you then throw in the towel. It just means that you just keep practicing. And one day, perhaps, the answer to that will be researched. We don't know. Um, so mindfulness, being brought to school teachers, being taught tools for the classroom, being able to share that, that's one big approach. And also as a, as a means of self-care. So, for instance, I've been asked to go into schools for in-service days for teachers just to teach them mindfulness to help them, not even to bring it to the kids, but just so that they have some kind of tool for self-care. So that's one area. Another area we might say direct to students. So there's to teachers who bring it into schools, and then there's to the students themselves. How do we bring it into the students? And um, And one of the main ways this is being done is through programs that train people to be mindfulness teachers in the schools. So they're taught by people who are not currently classroom teachers, but skilled mindfulness teachers or practitioners who then come into the school to teach. And um, so this was, I guess, this was how mindful schools started. Am I right, Richard? Like you you went in. You were a skilled, trained mindfulness teacher who went into the schools. And um and got the program going. And now it has all sorts of it has all sorts of variations. And this is also how Susan started teaching, right? Susan went into the school. She wasn't a teacher, but she came into the school and brought her expertise in mindfulness. Um, and you've seen we've seen this model actually quite a lot in the yoga world. In the yoga world, they use they they have, for instance, there's a program called Yoga Ed where they take they train a lot of people in yoga, and then they send them off into different schools. And this is an g- interesting model. Um, but finding the person, the right people, is a good question. Somebody who has both the skills in meditation and mindfulness, as well as the ability to manage classrooms, as well as the ability to r- connect with the kids. As a, it, you know, it takes some the right people. But we also might want to ask: Do we want an army? Of mindfulness teachers going into the schools I don't know maybe we do do we what maybe army isn't a good word we want a, a peace battalion of teachers going into the schools and what's going to support that what kind of infrastructure does it mean sometimes these nonprofits support it in one area in one part of the country you know who who's to say so um, so partially one of the ways this has been addressed is through the development of training programs and I know Susan has developed training programs and taught around the world people um, how to bring mindfulness to go into schools and I know that Mindful Schools has a training program right now that's for um, that's that's addressing this so the question we might ask then is do we change from within or change from without do we bring the mindfulness do we train the teachers so that they get the skills, and then they start disseminating it to the kids. Or do we bring outside mindfulness people in and bring it to the kids directly? Uh, and I don't think the answer is either or. I think the answer is both. And they—I mean—there's value to both approaches. And I think we've got to do everything we can, really. Um, another piece is once we have. So this is the next area, which is the area of curriculum. Once we have the teachers trained or the people coming in from the outside, the question might be, what are they going to teach? So I just want to say there's a lot of curriculum that's being developed and more and more is coming in. And we'll share some of this over the weekend and we'll give you some some resources around that. But keep in mind that it could be when the curriculum gets out there, there's one little worrisome possibility, which is that somebody who doesn't have a lot of background, just kind of reads it in a very perfunctory way and it doesn't help the kids at all. So I had an experience where where a CD of mine was played at a school and it was just played over the loudspeaker and actually, it's very funny. It was very mixed because some of the the people who were doing it said, oh, the kids really like that. But then I was wondering if they didn't have the context, if they didn't have anyone to talk to about it, how is that working? I don't know. I mean, it, 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 um, it's, it's an interesting question when you start thinking about how to get it out there on a larger scale. Um, but there's lots of curriculum. Inner Kids has a curriculum. Mindful Schools has a wonderful curriculum. Um, some of you are familiar The Goldie Hahn started a foundation and developed what's called the Mind Up Curriculum. Uh, there's Amy Salzman has a curriculum. My, if you go to the Mindfulness and Education website, and I, I'll tell you, we're going to give you resources, and I'd like to follow up this retreat with sort of a handout with the different resources we mentioned, um, but there's a lot listed on the Mindfulness and Education website. And then there's the curriculum that's being developed outside of the schools. So, for instance, spring, working on these teen programs for years or the working within the prisons or the, there's a lot of different, really interesting programs for teens, for kids. And so how do we bring that and get that out to all of you? You know, this is, an, this is a question. Um, so something, for instance, that's happening through us at UCLA is one of the teachers is who's been teaching teens for about 15, 18 years, has developed a 10-day immersion program for a private school in Los Angeles. And so he's going to have the kids come every day from 10 to 3 and do meditation practices and exercises. And and he's, his experience working with the teens is um, what's helping with this. Now... There is curriculum, and then there's also what I see as what we might say the organic growth of mindfulness in schools. There's just so much out there. It's, there's so much out there. People, every single one of you here who've been in the schools has had at some point or another, probably, I guess, a creative idea that's just popped out. Or you've used something that you saw, you read about, and you heard that it worked. So you're bringing a mindfulness bell to your classroom or a moment of silence where you invite them to reflect, or observational exercises, or any kind of self-awareness tool. And what I do say, and what I talked about earlier, is there's this beautiful flowering of mindfulness and education in the world. That people are, and it's worldwide, it's not just the United States. It, if, I, if, if, your web, if Allegra's website is any indication of this, it is worldwide that people are interested in this. But people, there's so much creativity and people frequently contact me and said, oh, I've just developed this curriculum in my high school or I'm doing, I'm trying this exercise. Have you heard whether or not it works? And I just want to say, yes, yes, just do it, try it. Now, the problem is all these people are doing it and they're not necessarily connected. So how do we get people connected to collaborate and share? And that's one of the goals of this retreat to really help us share. So you're going to have opportunities to share with each other about what you're doing and learn from each other, because we're not by any means the only experts at all. You're the ones on the front line. So finally, I just wanna say that there are, what's the what are the future visions for this field of mindfulness educa- and education? What are the possibilities? So what if, for instance, that one couldn't get a teaching certificate without getting trained in mindfulness. How about that? While we're at it, I think nobody should be allowed to go through driver's ed without a <laughs> mindfulness <laughs> certificate. But that's another story. And so we've um, at UCLA, we bring it to the teaching curriculum, uh, to the teacher, sorry, to the teachers' masters program each year. But you know, we do it one class of an hour. It's hardly like a deep training, but we'd love to see that happen. Okay, so that's one idea, getting a teaching credential that involves mindfulness. Another another vision is the idea of creating a position for people who are trained to go into schools and be the mindfulness counselor or the mindfulness person, whatever you want to call it, and that's—I mean—that's a pretty exciting thing. Can you imagine that this profession will exist in the future? That somebody is the the mindfulness, the mindfulness, adept. adept? Is that the specialist. word? Specialist. Okay, specialist. So, so we'll um, we'll see if that if that can happen. And um, and we've had—I know that this has happened in some schools. There was a school in San Francisco who had a mindfulness counselor, and. Um, that's something that we're actually developing a certificate program at UCLA so that people will have a credential so that they can then get hired in these positions. And then on like a bigger level, what about public policy? How do we change policy so that mindfulness gets, I'm careful around the word mandated because Nobody, I'm not sure that that's the right way to go, but it may be something that becomes a very important part of healthcare. And some of you are familiar with Congressman Tim Ryan, who is the Democrat, um, the the congressman from Ohio, who was trying to get mindfulness into the healthcare bill a while back, and um, not sure how that fared. But uh, anyway, um, so so what how, what kind of policy? decisions could be made or what could we advocate for to really make mindfulness a part of of education in general. So I think that I think that that's that gives you kind of an overview so I'm talking about how do we bring it to the teachers how do we bring it to the students either from teachers to students or directly to students using the curriculum the curricula that exists and what are the possibilities for the future? And I'm sure there's many more possibilities I haven't thought of. I know there are lots of questions, and I hope this weekend we discuss the questions, the questions of, as I mentioned earlier, is this, um, what, is it Buddhist? Is mindfulness Buddhist? And then how, how is that received in the school? Because our firm belief is no, it's secular, and it can be done by anyone of any background. But it's not always perceived that way. So that's really important. Does it work for every kid? Who knows? Probably not. It doesn't work for every adult. It's unlikely to work for every kid. Um, What about kids with trauma? What about when you bring it into certain schools and kids have an adverse response? That can happen, right? How do we handle that? What if we're not skilled enough to handle that? Um, What about the lack of community? What about, I mean, there's, there's many, many issues. As I said, we're going to be talking about this. So I did want to read, I'm going to conclude in a moment, but I did want to read a little quote from um, Parker Palmer, the great educator, who, he wrote a piece called Evoking the Spirit in Public Education. And I think it it really speaks to what we're doing here. And he said, he said this, he said, How might we evoke the spiritual dimension of public education? Behind the word evoke lies an important assumption. The spiritual is always present in public education, whether we acknowledge it or not. Spiritual questions, rightly understood, are embedded in every discipline, from health to history, physics to psychology, etymology to English. Spirituality, the human quest for connectedness is not something that needs to be brought into or added into the curriculum. It is the heart of every subject we teach where it waits to be brought forth. So I'd like to hold that quote in our hearts and minds as we continue on over this weekend together. As we explore the ins and outs of mindfulness and education as we connect with each other, as we play games, as we meditate and develop our own practice so that we get more and more understanding and strength and insight so that we can serve more and more. I just want to end with a very short story, which was... um, Many years ago, I was teaching a mindfulness class to a bunch of teenagers and at the end of a six-week meditation class this 15-year-old girl came up to me and she asked she said to me Diana what did you study in college and I said I had studied political science and theater and it was completely unrelated to what I was doing and she said and and she then said to me I asked her why are you asking me this question and she said to me well I just wanted to know how you get to be a mindfulness teacher when you grow up so who knows what's happening to the next generation with this? Huh? Okay. So I just, um, just invite us for a second just to close our eyes for a moment and just take a breath or two. We've been talking a lot. And having heard all these words, Notice what's happening inside yourself. And this is really key to all of this mindfulness stuff. right? It's coming back to ourselves in this present moment. What's here? And noticing what's here and letting whatever it is be here. Letting that be okay. So maybe you're tired or you're excited or you're antsy or anything can be happening or your mind is churned up just let whatever is here be here take a breath and also connect to the power of all of you sitting here A hundred people or so in a room, practicing, learning together to do this important work. And then whenever you feel ready, you can open your eyes. Thank you for listening.